grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks by way of a parable. This is where he uses everyday situations in life, but he often twists them or exaggerates them in order to teach a point concerning the kingdom of God. And so by way of parables, Jesus teaches God's children to dwell on God's word and to draw near to him. In many parables, Jesus is the active agent, and we can certainly interpret today's parable to be that way as the master of the house, the landowner. It also appears fitting to see our Heavenly Father as the landowner, the master of the house. In this parable, the master goes out at 6 a.m. to hire day laborers, and they agree to a fair day's wage in those days, which was a single denarius. They work in a vineyard, which is a type of garden, where, of course, grapes are grown. Now, before the fall of man into sin, it was the delight of Adam and Eve to work in a garden, in the Garden of Eden. They had no difficulties with their labors, but yet they still worked. And their work resulted for them in complete satisfaction. But after the fall of man into sin, work became difficult became painful. God cursed the ground, and what became of their work involved sweat and thorns and thistles, as God had said. And that labor ends ultimately with temporal death. But thankfully, Jesus uses the fruit of the vine to impart life. Grapes are grown in vineyards, and wheat is grown by farmers in order to make these into bread, to wine and bread. And then, in the divine service, we use the simple bread and wine, speaking the words of institution, so that the body and blood of Christ are present in the sacrament, the body and blood of Christ are consumed in the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of our sins, which is the greatest way in which we receive that life. When we hear about workers being hired in the parable, we also consider ourselves as workers in God's kingdom. With the Lord begin thy task. And this work ought to be considered as Christians a delight for us to do. For what greater delight should we have as children of God than to work for our Heavenly Father? Yet many bristle at the mere thought of that. For many want to take and take without any thought of giving. Or many have mastered the biblical teaching of salvation by grace alone, and so they know this so well that their works won't save them, so they, can, they figure that they can engage in, in their lives continue on in their lives without doing any good works. Or they figure that they have more important matters as they feed their own bellies than to engage in some sort of godly work which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. 
Let's remember there's always work to do when it comes to the kingdom of God. And the priorities that we set and the examples that we make for our children show them what is truly important in our lives. We also must remember our own vocations. So as we work our jobs, as we fulfill our stations in life, and as we help our neighbors, we are doing work that is pleasing to God. We are working, if you will, in that vineyard. Now, of course, God does not need our works, but he uses them anyway. The one who needs your work is your neighbor, your family member people who live close to you, your friends, people you don't even know when you do your daily jobs. And of course, you need your neighbor's works. So in this parable, Jesus is indeed inviting us to get to work, not to somehow obtain salvation from God, but to do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Salvation is granted by grace through faith, which is what this parable is also teaching us. Two chapters earlier in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus then extols the faith not of people who are big and strong and capable and able, but instead Jesus extols the faith of children and even the littlest of infants. He extols their faith. He upholds them as models of faith. For Jesus declares, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if an earthly father asks his child to help him work on something, if that child is quite young, that child may well be very thrilled to have this opportunity to spend some time with his father. The father may give him some tasks to do, and the child may try to be helpful, but may not be helpful at all, may slow down progress considerably, and the child may lose interest quickly. The child may even do it wrong. But the father is still well pleased to spend time with his child anyway. The father fixes those wrong things that the child may have done, and he can even use the most minute things that the child accomplished for his good. And that's how it is when we work for our heavenly father. We should be thrilled to have the opportunity, and God will use what we've done and he will fix what we didn't do right. And as the parable teaches, our eternal reward has nothing to do with the labors with which we have invested into that work. The parable then continues with the master going out and finding more workers, more people who are standing idle. And there's an implied rebuke against them as he asks them, why do you stand here idle all day? Yet what does he do? Does he keep on rebuking them, beating them when they're down without working and receiving any type of wage? No, instead he graciously tells them to go into the vineyard and he promises to give them whatever is right. 
And such it is with the kingdom of God. God will give whatever he deems right from what is his to those who are added into his family. Those who are added into his family early in life through infant baptism and those who are added late in life, perhaps through a deathbed conversion, will receive whatever God deems to be right. Now in this parable, he's using a denarius as that which is right. And as Christians, what God grants to us that is right is eternal life. For Jesus died on the cross to pay for our many sins. So at the end of the day, the master pays them. Those who worked for just one hour received an entire denarius, the wage that was agreed upon by those who were hired at the beginning of the day, 10 hours earlier. You would think that if one hour results in a denarius, three hours would result in three, and 12 hours would result in 12. But not so in this parable. That's because they receive, what they receive is not based on what they do, but instead what they receive is based solely on what the master is pleased to do with his own things out of his own goodness. Now, I know that's not the way things work in this world. This parable is not instructing employers to pay unfair wages. Instead, this parable is teaching us that salvation is granted by grace out of God's favor toward us and that which we do not deserve and cannot earn. This parable is teaching us that God gives us what is good, and this parable teaches us that he gives us of what belongs to him, and really, they remain his possessions, the things he grants to us. For he gave them to, he made them, and he made you, so you belong to him. You see, when it comes to being received into God's favor, or being received into God's family, or even being received into heaven, we do not earn those things. But he grants them to us for absolutely free. He freely does what he wants with his things. And this means he freely gives us the gift of salvation. So even though Adam and Eve were told that their daily work will be a burden because they had now sinned and brought the entire world into sin, God still promised them something that they definitely did not deserve. He promised to them a savior, Christ the Lord. He promised that from her seed, one would come who would remove the guilt of their sin and reconcile them back to God, their heavenly father. That Jesus would come to pay their debt of sin and grant them forgiveness of sin, eternal life and everlasting salvation. And this Messiah would not only do that for them, but also for all of their descendants, which means that this salvation is available to absolutely everyone who has ever walked the face of the earth. However, we know that everyone is not going to be saved. For those who do not receive Christ's salvation will not be saved. They must show up in the vineyard. They are to be brought into God's family through the waters of holy baptism 
and sustained in their faith through the vineyard of Christ's church. They are to be grafted onto the vine Christ, and, and being branches, they receive his blessings through that which he feeds them, the word and the sacraments. God does not grant salvation apart from these means. Now the workers who were hired the first were the last then to receive their wages. They had agreed, as we've heard, to a denarius. But when they see those who work for a single hour receive a whole denarius, they now figure that they should receive more. These people, it turns out, are lawless, for they do not want to keep the contract that they made with the master of the vineyard. Instead, they're greedy and they want more. They think they deserve more now than their agreed upon wage. For they don't like, for they don't think like our Heavenly Father thinks, by grace alone. Clearly, they don't make any effort to even think the way God thinks. And so when the master gave them each a denarius, they grumble, for they work through the heat of the day. Those who worked less were made equal to them. They were basically saying, that's not fair. Now, accusing God of being unfair, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, will never end well. If we want what is fair, we will all die in our sin and go to hell. If we want what is fair, Jesus should never have left his throne in on high to become a man and die on the cross as the guilty one to pay for the world's sin. But since God is good, he gives us far more than what we could conceive to be fair. He not only gave us he not only made us equals in Christ, but he also made us equal to Christ. For we, by virtue of our baptism, have been adopted as sons of God. And this means that Jesus is now our brother. We've been elevated to that status. We now receive that which is Christ's. And because he lives, he grants us that same gift of life. And so when we will rise on the last day, we will be given glorious bodies, not unlike Christ's own body. And we receive such blessings simply because God is good. He is gracious. Now in this parable, the master takes one of the complainers aside and says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. I wish to give as I please for my own possessions. And then he says two things that should give us pause. The first is take what is yours and go. Now we might love hearing a word like that, take and leave, because we want to take as much as we can and go our way and do what we want with it as if God should have no say on how we use his things. But remember who is speaking. What can we take from God that doesn't already belong to him? And where would we go? You can see this as an accusation. Take what earthly things you think belong to you and leave. Abandon the eternal inheritance that Christ has earned for you. It's like saying, 
Go and be the prodigal, since you think this is something you have earned. Instead, we should want to draw near to our Lord and realize that that, and realize all that is ours is truly on loan from him and that we are stewards of his things, the last thing we should want is to leave God the Father and his Son. And then the second thing he says is, your, is your eye evil because I am good? Our ESV translation poorly paraphrases it as, or do you begrudge my generosity? really uses those words evil and good and your eye. Is your eye evil because I am good? That's how the Greek writes it. Now evil eyes not only look at evil things with delight, for in fact that Greek word for evil is where we get the English word porn, but evil eyes look at the good things of God and calls those good things of God evil. Those who worked all day are accusing the master of being evil simply because he is gracious. And God is often accused of being evil when he is doing good. Look at Jesus, who performed miracles, healing people, and that made people upset. Jesus preached the pure word of God, which also made people so angry with him that they wanted to kill him. We, we are given forgiveness, and people are angry that we sinners have our sins totally canceled out by God's grace. In fact, we are even tempted to resent those who have sinned against us when we see that they are now reconciled to God and are admitted to the Lord's altar to receive the body and blood of Christ. And so we repent and we cling to God and his grace granted to us through our Lord Jesus who died for us on the cross. We have to agree that God is allowed to do what he chooses with what belongs to him. For God only chooses to do the good. He is not evil. And the good with which he has chosen is what is best for us. After all, he in grace sent his only begotten son to save you from your sin. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. <laughs>